Welcome to Rethinking Youth Ministry, where each week we hope to raise the bar for youth ministry by asking questions, interviewing thinkers, and having real, honest conversations about what it looks like to lead the next generation. I'm Sarah, and today I'm thrilled to be joined by Stuart, hey guys. Gerald, Yo. and Sam. Yo. And today on Rethinking Youth Ministry, we're going to discuss the question, why should we care about race in our youth ministries? And the thing that I love about youth ministry is that we're working with an age group that is just starting to realize their potential when it comes to the change that can affect. And so when it comes to issues like race relations and racial reconciliation, we have the potential to help equip this next generation be followers of Jesus in the real world as leaders in areas we may have never imagined possible in our own generation. So before we dive in, I know that each one of us cares really passionately about this topic, and I would just love to hear more about your personal background and what your experience was growing up that led you to be as invested as you are today when it comes to race. Awesome. I mean, I'm so excited to be here, Sarah. I uh, just want to comment on how how articulate you've been at the top of this episode. It makes me feel... (laughs) First 10 seconds. (laughs) It makes me feel really organized. Uh, Which you don't feel often. <laughs> Thank you, Gerald. Not, not, not on air. Not on air. I'll deal with you later. Um, uh, you know, I grew up in Atlanta. Shots fired. Right? <laughs> I grew okay. up in Atlanta um, on Auburn Avenue, okay. where uh, most of uh, Martin Luther King's civil rights activism took place in the state of Georgia. Okay. Um, obviously, he went to Albany and some different places, but right across from the King Center mm-hmm. is where my dad has a barber shop. Okay. And so I just grew up walking up and down the streets of Auburn. And so this conversation for me, I think, you know, I've always been aware of the state of our country mm-hmm. and how far we've come. I remember seeing murals of um, John Lewis mm-hmm. um, downtown as I would walk. And it's funny because when I was, um, I think, six there's a picture of me sitting on John Lewis's lap. No what? way. When my dad was cutting his hair. Oh, my word. Well, that's amazing. I forgot amazing. about that. Yeah. Um, Do you have it framed? Yeah, my dad has it somewhere. It was like okay. in the barbershop. Yeah. And so I've just, I think, just grew up in civil rights. Yeah. And being at a 25,000 member black church and then mm-hmm. leaving that and coming on over to North Point mm-hmm. was a uh, journey. And mm-hmm. so, because <laughs> it is not right, a twenty-five thousand member black, black church. church. <laughs> so, so it took about two years, honestly, yeah. to really learn how to be relevant, how to exist in a new culture, mm-hmm. and then a new church culture at that. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I'm really passionate about this conversation, especially for youth uh, leaders, because our our youth ministries, predominantly in the on the in the urban side, tend not to look like those that are in uh, suburbia, hmm. and, so, mm-hmm. and just in terms of the numbers and the impact. So I'm excited to talk through that. That's awesome. Yeah, that's, that's great. great. I feel like that's a good segue for me. I grew up in a black family going to a, a historically black Methodist church, mm-hmm. um, but living in a pretty white environment, uh, living in Alpharetta. And mm-hmm. so um, living where I lived and going to school where I went, but then having the, the family that I had and going to the church that I went to. Um, and like Sam said, we didn't have the, the best youth group of all time. And so I didn't really <laughs> attend uh, mm-hmm. youth right. ministry at all. And so a lot of things happened in my family that left me at a spot where I was 16, 17 years old on my own mm. and trying to figure out how to navigate life. At the 
same time, going to a school that was right down the street from one of the largest churches in America Mm -hmm. that's predominantly white. uh, And all of my friends who were on the white side had a great youth group experience, Mm -hmm. were attending this church, were in small groups, had small group leaders helping them navigate life, Mm -hmm. uh, but never thought to invite me to be a part of that environment. And so here I am uh, missing out on something that could have greatly benefited me and saved me from some bad decisions Mm. that they had the keys and had access to that I never knew about. So I end up meeting Jesus, end up working at that very church. And then something happened in me where I had this fire for wanting to make sure that there would never be a student at any of our local schools who would miss out on an opportunity to have an adult walk through life with them, a group of people surround them, but Mm -hmm. ultimately have a heavenly father who they know loves them and is for them. And so for me, um, this issue is extremely important because it's easy for us to stick in our own pockets. It's easy for students to stick in in their own pockets, but they may have a classmate who needs something Mm -hmm. that they have access to that they never offer them or never make them aware of because they're just focused on you know their friends and, and their groups. Gerald, so. your experience now, you, you have a unique experience because you mm-hmm. are the student pastor at one of North Point's campuses further north in a more rural area. So yep. you can kind of, that probably with, is influenced. Not only more north, but with a... The, a history. A history. A great historic history. Yeah. 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 At history. one time, yeah. it was what the most racist county in America. Yeah. Am I right? Yeah. Correct. Yeah. Just, so to see it now is just, wow. Yeah. That is crazy to think. So I'm sure you'll have a lot to contribute in this yeah. conversation based off of yeah. your experience just as leading there. As For well. sure. I'll have yeah. a little bit to say. <laughs> We're counting on you, Gerald. <laughs> okay. And Stuart, what about you? Uh, I am the son of the son of an alcoholic, abusive sharecropper okay. who wow. grew up one of nine children in the middle of a cotton field in Atmore, Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I'm born and I grew up in the hood. Our family was a white family mm-hmm. surrounded by people of color mm-hmm. uh, because of athletics. I've experienced not anywhere close to what my friends and people of color have experienced as far as marginalization mm-hmm. and you know the awful atrocities of our country's history. But I have felt what it's like to be a minority. Um, mm-hmm. AAU basketball, I was the only white dude on the team. Right. They didn't even know my name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I've had uh, friends of color fight over who had to stay in the same hotel room with wow. me. Mm-hmm. Watching my wife and I raising our kids mm-hmm. to appreciate people mm-hmm. uh, and seeing what that's meant, even in our most recent history with our youngest daughter and some yeah. things that she's experienced. And then Kelly and I both were born and raised in Mobile, Alabama, mm-hmm. you know, the the deep south yeah. and a place that still experiences a lot of that hatred and prejudice. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty passionate about this, mm-hmm. but I'm also convinced that what we are talking about is critical to the future of the capital C church, not whoever's listening, not your little C church, but the capital C church. Well, kind of with that in mind, each one of you shared an experience, all of you raised in the South, Atlanta or Alabama. So I hope the listener understand if you're not living in a Southern context where race is so much a part of our history here, why does it matter for youth groups and youth leaders who aren't living in the South where this doesn't feel as necessarily as weighty to them? Yeah. Help me understand what you would tell them. Yeah, I'll spend 10 seconds on it and mm-hmm. then pass the ball. I think something that's been interesting to me is that 
thanks to Stuart and um, his wife, they have an organization, Kelly specifically, Mm -hmm. that has allowed for us, many of us, to speak in different parts of the country. Mm -hmm. And Orange, some in California, some in New York, even now. And so what's interesting to me is that as I have encountered people of color in other areas outside of the middle middle America, where Mm -hmm. you would think it would be more progressive, that they have experienced some form of racism in California and in New York, which Mm -hmm. to me was very surprising. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's one of the reasons why it's so important is because you just never know where you're going to encounter someone that has come from a certain area that will create some type of racist environment right. all around our country yeah. just because it's so deep has been so deeply rooted in sure. in America. I mean it's important because we like Sam said we get to travel and and run into people who have had, you know, difficult circumstances or run into racism in some way. But ultimately as a youth worker, it's important because your students aren't going to stay wherever you are. Right. right? Like yeah. we live we live in an age that is far different than any age that has existed. You can get on the spirit flight for a hundred bucks and go pretty mm-hmm. much anywhere in the right. US. <laughs> yeah. And for a few hundred dollars, you can get almost anywhere in the world, yeah. right? And wow. so you may live in New York now, but you could end up in Georgia or Alabama right. or Florida or Mississippi, and you may run into some things that you never had to experience where you yeah. were. Um, and so because students aren't going to stay in one space, we need to prepare them to be the light of Christ, to be an example of Jesus everywhere that they go. And so even if it's not an issue in your particular area, mm-hmm. you want your student to be prepared to be an example of how to follow Jesus in a different context when they get there, because they are not going to stay where they are forever. Yeah. You know, That's a great That's point. That's so good. I would only add two things. With, and one of the things that we've even talked about off air is our need and desire to make sure that we stay laser focused on this is youth ministry focused right. and not a greater race conversation that yep. desperately needs to be had. Right. But two things that I do think add to this, to that person that may be in a place where it's not as big of an issue. Yeah. I think it's helpful for any person of any color to understand the history of our country. Mm-hmm. And for example, why is there such a race issue in the South? Maybe in contrast to where it is in other places. Mm. Why did African-Americans specifically wind up in places not in the South? Mm -hmm. There's an incredible book called The Warmth of Other Suns that talks about Mm -hmm. the great migration that you can read. And theologically and from a God standpoint, how does that how has that shaped the American conscience? Because we you have to have your head in a hole. Yeah. Not to understand that there is racial tension right now. And we cannot raise the children we were. We have to raise teenagers that we have now. Yeah. And there's a very high probability that that racial tension isn't exactly going to go away. No. And we've got to make a decision. How do we help the next generation lead the world that they are living in now and what the world will be? In some ways, it feels like our generation, you know, born in the 80s, kind of growing up in the 90s, has a harder time with this. Cause I feel like I've, I've heard people talk about the decade of the nineties as being the super optimistic decade. Like that's when we were like, we're colorblind, like everybody, we're all the same. And that it was almost like trying to cover up 
our differences in a way. And that now, then it became very obvious that was not true. Like we wanted yeah. to believe that that was true. Whereas the, the teenagers that we're raising now are not growing up thinking that we're all this. They're seeing on television how different we are and how it, it affects how we relate to one another and where we live and what we're doing. So it seems like it's almost the youth pastors would potentially have a harder time coming to terms with the need to teach this and the students, the youth pastors are leading. Sure. Do you think that's true? Yeah. I mean, what's, what's, and I, I don't think I'm answering the question. <laughs> I'm just going to go ahead and say that first. And then again, I'm going to pass the ball to Gerald. Um, <laughs> uh, but as Stuart was speaking and Gerald was speaking, there was a, and as you were speaking, there was a quote that popped in my head. I was listening to a speech by Dr. King mm -hmm. and he was saying, and this was like 10, this was like 20, almost 30 years ago, mm -hmm. maybe even longer. He said, because of the technological advances that our world um, has come into, it has made of the world a neighborhood. It's made the world a neighborhood. Mm -hmm. He said, but now we must make the world a brotherhood. Because, mm -hmm. and, and I love what you're saying because it's like, you know, when you talk about these students now growing up and seeing on the media and mm -hmm. specifically on social media, right. all of the turmoil that has happened, it's, it's really technology. Yeah. Technology has brought us closer together. And so, it, which is interesting, what's yeah. interesting is that if you're a student, in New York, you might encounter another student that grew up in South Carolina right. that is speaking to you in a racist tone. Mm -hmm. And you're like, whoa, what is this? Mm -hmm. Where's this coming from? And so now it's almost as if technology has brought us closer mm -hmm. together. Yeah. And the geography is it's right. like, whatever. in other words, whatever ill yeah. exists in any part of the country can exist in any part of the world. There's no luxury of a connected. bubble yeah. anymore. Yeah. Everyone's, yeah, that's, that's good. good. Sure, yeah. I think I think I would also agree with what you're saying. You know, this the 90s generation does have this optimistic yeah. point of view. We don't see color. I definitely understand yeah. that perspective for sure. I would just caution that you can't celebrate what you don't see. Yeah, for and sure. And so if you see every student the same, then you'll never be able to celebrate the uniquenesses that God has given right. them, right? And so to say that you don't see color mm -hmm. means that you're missing an opportunity to celebrate some things about a student's heritage or their culture or even some things that they've had to overcome mm -hmm. um, because you're choosing to be blind to a specific mm -hmm. part of who they are. And so I would just caution us as youth workers, yeah. our perspective is not reality all of the time. And just because we grew wow. up in a, in a decade good. where we could be more positive and more um, hopeful mm -hmm. does not mean that the students that we're, that we're raising and that we're helping lead um, are living in that same yeah, context. And so we have, to be, we have to be uh, eyes open to see yeah. each of our students individually for who they are and what they're carrying. Yeah. yeah. And can I, just one more thing about that. Stuart, can I throw it at you? Because he's getting me passionate. Um, I totally get the colorblind narrative. Mm -hmm. Let me just go ahead and say that first. And I, let me, let me please, interject. Please, please. I don't think Sarah used that as her own narrative, I do right. think the 90s used that statement yeah. a lot. Totally. Right. Yes, right. absolutely. Carry on. Absolutely. Right. 100%. It's because the deeper I get into it and the more friends you get that aren't like you in terms of that don't look like you, yeah. the more you, I'm going to use this term loosely, fall in love mm -hmm. with a different culture, which I think is important, right? Mm -hmm. It's like I had to really get to the point, and this is in reference to youth ministry, where I fell in love with the opposite race. Yeah. So where it's like I cared just as much about white students as I did black students. Right. Right. Yeah. That was and I'll be honest, that was a journey for yeah. me. You know what yeah. I'm saying? Yeah. Which I think it's a journey for all of us because yeah. we we're so conditioned to care about our own. 
Right. right. It's like, no, I care. He looks like me. I care about him. But I think, you know, God had to challenge me with, but that's not how I see. I don't just yeah. care about the kids that look like you. I care about everybody. Yeah. So I get the, so as I've fallen in love with another culture, I start to understand what they're saying. Okay. Color mind. It's coming from a good place. It's like, man, let's just, let's just, you know, let's just be one. It's coming right. from that place. Yeah. But the issues potentially with that is, and I, I hate to keep quoting Dr. King. I hate it. I'm going to stop no. after this. Why, why do going. you hate that? I'm just, yeah. you're being um, silly. <laughs> Cause I, you know, he talked about this term called negative peace. Mm-hmm. Woo And I love this term because I'm getting excited. Did you just amen yourself? I did. did. (laughs) He he didn't amen himself. That was amazing. What he he defined negative peace as is peace with the absence of reconciliation. Hmm. And so it's, and that's what we're kind of in now. It's like we've moved from one generation to the next. And what we've said is, is that, you know what? That was so difficult then. Let's just forget it happened. Right. Mm-hmm. Let's not even talk about it, please. We want to move on. But what my white brothers and sisters that mm-hmm. I've been able to have private conversations mm-hmm. with, what I try to explain is, and this is in reference to student ministry, is that we don't really have the luxury of pushing it down because yeah. it's still there. Right. Yeah. And so we got to at least have the conversation yeah. first. Of, let's reconcile. Let's yeah. talk about some of this stuff. And then we can actually right. put That's the good. icing on the cake. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Right. yeah. From, a, from a different foundation. Yeah. So. so why do you think there's a hesitancy to address race in church? Like where is it that that comes from that it's, is it too uncomfortable or is it, you know, why right. is that? Specifically youth ministry, but right. church in general as well. Well, I, to piggyback on what Gerald and to some degree Sam said, your view of God is only going to be as big as the diversity in your room. Mm-hmm. That's good. And for a lot of us, we have a really, really small perspective of God because there isn't a whole lot of diversity represented yeah. in our room. Yeah. But I think, and this is going to sting a little bit, but I think it takes an awful lot of maturity to empathize with a perspective that is not your own. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I have learned and am learning from great friends like Gerald and Sam and so many other people, especially African-Americans, I want to make sure that I say this right. What is extremely personal to the black community, white people tend to call history. Hmm. And we've got to stop. We've got to understand it's our history Mm -hmm. and it's personal. Mm -hmm. And in some ways current. It's not just history. Correct. Yeah. And until we do that, we keep it as this marginalized yeah. other topic. We were talking off air of yeah. how we even have youth leaders in our country that yeah. think it's not a theological or spiritual issue. Right. And thus the reason why it doesn't come into play. Yeah. So Gerald mentioned this earlier. The young men and women that graduate out of our ministries mm-hmm. are probably not going to stay in your hood. Yeah. yeah. They're going to move. By U.S. Census Bureau says by 2045, if you are Caucasian listening to this, you will be the minority in mm-hmm. our country. The question we have to ask is, are we preparing students to lead that world that's coming? Right, right. And I, part of the reason why I think it's a difficult thing for us, we've titled this Why We Should Care mm-hmm. About Race in Our Youth mm-hmm. Ministry. I think another question we have to ask is, why don't we care? Yeah. Not why should we, but yeah. why don't we? Yeah. And I think part of the reason why we don't is because we go, well, that's that's just history. 
Mm-hmm. And to people of color, they're like, it's much more personal than mm-hmm. history. Well, it's, I'll try to be careful here. Um, <laughs> we say on one hand, it's just history. Mm-hmm. But then I've also been to some of my friends' houses who have relics from their great, 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 great grandparents that they have kept because they're extremely important to them. Mm-hmm. So it's not just history Correct. to anyone. Right. It's it's your it's who you are. It's personal. It's, sha- it's personal. It's yeah. shaped who you wow. are. And so I would ask the question, wow. if you think it's just history, then imagine for one of the minority students in your ministry or minority students in your neighborhood, when they think about a relic that they have from their great, great, great grandfather, what will that relic be? Right. Shackles or a war uniform? Right. right. So it's it's not just history. Right. Mm. It's part of who they are mm-hmm. and it's shaped their family trajectory and it's shaped the people that they've become. And so to say that it's just history and dismiss it as such is to dismiss part of who that student is. And that's just not who Jesus is. And that's we can't good. do that as students. And, and we also have to lean into the idea that regardless of what color you are, what your personal history, there is some perspective of God that people propped up to justify right. why that is our history. Right. right. Yeah. And so consequently, we've got to own that and yeah. begin to help the next generation understand it correctly, because yeah. I think that's part of our dilemma. I think sure. what you're saying, too, also could explain why there's a hesitancy to talk about it, because religion was tied up in a very negative and harmful way into how we treated people of color. And so to undo that, the church has to really own a lot of mistakes and failings. At the the date of this recording, we will put this in our show notes, but there is an article from NPR that talks about Bibles that have been found from the 1800s where slave owners removed, I want to say the actual data is 90% of the Old Testament, 50% of the New Testament, because they did not want their slaves reading something that they think they could translate into revolution. Yeah. Yeah. So it is a part of the theological narrative that's been painted in America as well. And all the more reason why. This is a very difficult tension point because there are a lot of young men and women that are that are in our ministries and the reason why they have the perspective they do about race is not necessarily because of them. It's because of what they've been taught yes. in the home they've been raised in. Yep. Right. And I think that's part of the reason why we don't want to touch it. Yeah. Because it, it means we have to get we yeah. have to go now to it's where mom family and, yeah. and not yeah. just yeah. Yeah. And I, I think um two two quick stories of why I feel like this is important and why some of us and why we need to be addressing it, even though mm-hmm. it can be uncomfortable to the question of why is this so yeah. uncomfortable? The first one is, is when Gerald said shackles, I almost fell on the ground. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, yeah. It took, and then Stuart back to the, I mean, when you, when I have encountered, I'm going to bring it down to a, to a, uh, to the ground. When I've encountered white students mm-hmm. at North Point, mm-hmm that are coming up to me, whether it is at Brown's Bridge where Gerald is pastoring or whether it's at North Point or Gwinnett and they are extremely emotional mm-hmm. about whatever. Mm-hmm. It could be, and my mom didn't come home or this happened, my friend. And you can say, well, that's trivial. To me, whatever they're emotional about, I don't care what it's about. They're right. emotional. Mm-hmm. And those emotions lead to actions. Mm-hmm. 
Some of them it leads to cutting. Some of them it leads to potential suicide thoughts. Right. Whatever. My my point is that I in that moment I need to care about this. This is such right. a good. I, yeah. I can see where you're going, and you need to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> I need to care about yeah. that, right? And that yeah. for me, can we can we get a little, a little bit more honest? For me, I remember standing at North Point one day, getting ready to speak to fifteen hundred high school students. And I, my, my work was done in the inner city. That's where, I, yeah. that's where a lot of my work was. Mm-hmm. So I'm used to dealing with kids that their mom got hit in the head with a gun the night before. Mm-hmm. And it's normal. You know, you raise, who's, who's seen abuse? These middle school students. Right. Half the room is raising their hand. And so when I'm getting ready, you know, when I'm getting ready to speak, I like to get pumped up. And so I try to put in my head everything that a kid is dealing with so mm-hmm. I can give everything I got. And honestly, as a black man that's coming from the inner city, I'm in Alpharetta. And I'm like, mm-hmm. they don't have anything they're going through. You know what I'm saying? Right. And yeah. to a point where I'm getting depressed. Hi, <laughs> I'm like, they don't need me out here. Right. right. And God is like, no, their issues are just as strong to them as mm-hmm. another kid because it leads somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. It's, and I've got to care about them again as much as I care about. And so it doesn't matter what I think about what. They're going through, based on my experience, they're going through it. Right. And again, it might lead to suicide just because, Mm -hmm. and for me, I could miss that opportunity because I don't necessarily identify. Right. And that's what I think we get lost in the story. It's like, well, I don't identify with it. So again, it's just history. So again, if, if if, if somebody like myself or a student in your audience is extremely emotional about anything, we need to address it with the gospel. Yeah. Now, here's the next story, and I'm done. <laughs> no, South Carolina. Mm-hmm. This just happened to me two weeks ago. As we talk about, okay, why, why are they a little hesitant to talk about it? Why yeah. should we talk about it? I think people are hesitant because they don't think it's relevant. Mm-hmm. But when I'm in South Carolina in a town that's 90% white, mm-hmm. And you've got 10% minorities because, as Stuart said, the statistic is changing. And mm-hmm. Gerald, who's in an interracial marriage, can I say that publicly? Too late. Is, you already did. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of it, right, but you right, already right. did. I did. I said it. Which, I, which I love. Yes. Right? Let yeah. me, I yeah. love that he's married to a white woman. I love it. Because I, I can get more. Let me just keep going. When you have this type of thing happening, there are minorities popping up everywhere. Mm-hmm. Everywhere and in Iowa, I mean, they're just popping up <laughs> because there's not enough space. Right. And so when I'm in South Carolina, and a 19 year old comes up to me, white girl, mm-hmm. who's decided to date a mixed 20 year old. Yeah. And her father has disowned her four weeks prior because he said that there was only one rule in our house: don't date somebody black. Mm-hmm. 19. In 2019, mm-hmm. we have to address it now yeah. because that girl's trying to figure out how does the gospel inform this right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. in this town that is what some would say 20, 30 years behind. Right. I read recently someone said to be black in America and relatively conscious <laughs> is to live in a constant state of anger. Mm. Mm. Wow. That's why we have to address it in our youth ministries, because we have, just like Sam said, just like we would address an anger issue in a kid because of some sort of abuse or some sort of 
neglect. Right. We wouldn't ignore that. We, and we would not ignore that. And, right. and so why in the world would we consider, well, that's, that's history. Right. No, it's not. We have to address it. Okay. So let's say that someone's listening and they've been convinced or they understand that this is something that needs to be talked about. When is the best time for them to talk about it? Is it to wait? Is it to be reactionary or is it to be proactive? I may have a different opinion than most when yeah. it comes to this. I don't know that every major issue has to be preached about via sermon. Okay. I think Expand. that a way to tackle an issue is with your actions more than your words in okay. a lot of cases. So I would say, how do you handle this issue before something big happens in the news? Okay. Do you have any minority small group leaders? Because you've already started addressing the issue if you do. Mm -hmm. Do you have any nice. minority speakers? Because mm -hmm. you've started to address the issue if you have a minority communicator on your stage. You have just given... You have just given a race authority when you allow them to preach the word of God That's to your students, point. right? Great. Yeah. Um, do you have any minority worship leaders? Mm -hmm. Are you setting an example that someone of another race has value in your context? Mm -hmm. Because then when an issue does occur, it's now not just personal to you or to the people that you're bringing in. It becomes personal to the student because they're watching and going, oh, I wonder how Gerald feels about that. Mm -hmm. I wonder how that affected Sam. I wonder how that's affecting my small group leader. Right. And so you've already began to shift the narrative by simply choosing to allow, by simply choosing to bring people into your right. context that already have a different perspective. And so I don't know that it's a sermon or it's something right. that, you, that you say from stage. I think the work starts far before anything that you can say. And wouldn't you say if you're waiting to just address it from stage when something happens, it looks less honest and authentic if you don't have people that are in leadership positions. Opportunistic in your to yeah. some degree. Yeah. 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 I, go ahead, let's do it. I, I was only going to add that I, I completely agree with everything that you're saying and some, and I hope we get into the answer. Yeah. Yeah. But I would also add, I don't know if we're necessarily properly appropriating the scriptures if we don't recognize that from the from the get-go with Jesus there was racial issues. For right. sure. Yeah. Uh, the fact that, that James talks about favoritism. Right. There are things there that we can address and talk about. Absolutely. And I don't know if we necessarily do that well. Right. Because we do tend to be more opportunistic when something happens yeah. in culture. And there's definitely a need for there to be diverse faces on the stage. Sure. But diverse faces without diverse voices and diverse uh, a, a diverse understanding of what the scriptures teach, I think it leaves us mm -hmm. in a bit of a void. Totally. And, and I wasn't just implying on stage. I think more than anything in your volunteer base, right? Like if you right. don't have diverse small group leaders, there's a there's something about a relationship between a small group leader and a student mm -hmm. where you look at your small group leader as if they're your role model, right? right? Mm -hmm. And so if your parents or the house that you've grown up in or the society that you live in has painted a narrative of a type of person but then you have a person who looks like that narrative who's your small group leader. Right. Yeah. Now when you bring up why was the good Samaritan such a big deal? Yeah. Right. Because a Samaritan and a Jew would never interact. Right. right. It would be as if like today some of the racial things that we're feeling in our country. Mm -hmm. Why is it such a big deal? Well, then in the mind of a student, they go, I don't get that because my small group leader is black. But in my house, I was told I wasn't supposed to date a black guy. But mm -hmm. This is weird because my small group leader is amazing. There's something wrong. But until there's a person, yeah. it's just theory. That's so That's beautiful. Right. And it yeah. doesn't mean 
anything to a 15 year old isn't thinking about theory about anything right. it's like trying to tell a 15 year old why they should wait to have sex until they're married. they don't care there's a hot girl in front of right. them right. so right. giving them the theory about race is important right but it means more when there's somebody that they can relate it to so does that make sense oh, yeah dude. and Eat it seems money. like as, soon, as long as someone's from the stage talking about it it stays theory until they become someone who's actually you have an actual relationship with right. off stage that's okay. good yeah, and I think to all of their points, <laughs> I think that um, one of the things I've seen, if we talk about how to actually talk about yeah. it, I, I definitely agree with Gerald. You don't want to become the current events church. Right. Because mm-hmm. there's going to be good. something every day, especially with the sensational. What, how, what is it, the word sensationalization? Sensationalism. 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 Right. <laughs> of the media. Like. Sizzler. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I do think you, you want to pick and choose mm-hmm. um, when something needs to be addressed through a gospel lens, which we all know. And I think the lens for that is how are they handling this on social media? Mm-hmm. It's like if, if, you, if you're encountering your students going crazy on social media with their other black students or their other Hispanic students, or mm-hmm. other, and there's a war, you got to address that right. because they don't have any leadership. But I think how you address it is important. And I've seen Gerald and Stuart do this well mm-hmm. in messages that don't have anything to do with current events. Mm-hmm. Um, they... They weave in and out the felt needs within their messages, which I think is just phenomenal. Yeah. It'll, they'll talk about current events in the media, but then they'll also talk about stuff in your household. And, and I'll just, I, I just love the way they That's do good. it. But it's, it's not forced. It's not there's a moment in, on the news, right. and now I'm getting up and I'm going to make a, a public statement right. in a press release. Right? It's in, their, it's in their messages. They're preaching with a worldview. Right. They're going to address So everything. it's not necessarily getting up on stage and doing a race message as much as it is this, whatever the topic is, integrating the racial messages into whatever else, other examples. So it doesn't necessarily feel forced, but totally. it's addressed. Yeah. I think it's both. And I mean, yeah. you, you do have your moments, yeah. but I think it's better if it's a part of your culture, right? Yeah. If we That's take good. a step back and realize that every teenager is coming at this from a perspective that, generally speaking, they've been conditioned into. Mm-hmm. I'm talking about the predominant white teenager, for mm-hmm. example, regardless of what other race we're talking about. I think we have to be careful with that kid. Yeah. Because just saying something from a microphone mm-hmm. is a bit insensitive because, for example... To, to Sam's point about a 19-year-old in 2019. Right, right. She's been raised that way. Mm-hmm. She, the last thing I would want to do is tell her, dishonor your mom and dad. Right. right. But at the same time, your mom and dad may be instilling some things in you that aren't necessarily right. Right. Mm-hmm. That is a very precarious position yeah. to be in as a <laughs> yeah, youth yeah. leader. Yep. Yeah. And so we have to handle that with kid gloves. And it points exactly to Gerald's point. The best way to do that is through the context of relationships. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's really good. So let's say you are a youth leader listening to this conversation and you're on board with everything that we've said so far, but you live in a predominantly white community. You don't have leaders who are people of color that you can pull from. What do you recommend that, that this person does? Yeah. So I think that there's a difference between philosophy and methodology. Mm-hmm. And I think just to break that down a little bit more simply, philosophy is just how you think mm-hmm. and the methodology is how you move. Mm-hmm. And so I think what we're talking about here is people that have a challenge with the methodology. How do I get more people right. of color in my ministry, so on and so forth. 
if I were to put a pin right there, because I'm going to let Gerald tackle the methodology piece and whatever else he wants to tackle, <laughs> and Stuart, on the philosophy side, it's what are you teaching? Right. What's your scope and cycle? Because if you can't get people of color or you feel like that's your challenge, do you even talk about, do you, do you preach in a diverse way? Hmm. What does that I, mean? How would you I say? Was, I was having a uh, conversation with a really large faith leader who, I, who will r- remain nameless. Okay. And large as in overweight or no, no, large as in influence, okay. <laughs> influence. And it's people you would know, somebody you would know that you greatly respect. And in the conversation, it was, what can I do better mm-hmm. to reach minorities with my message? Mm-hmm. Or how can I preach or teach more in a way that is more uh, world rounded, includes mm-hmm. more views? And was this T.D. Jakes? Or? No, it wasn't Jakes. It wasn't Jakes. <laughs> <laughs> so how do I what reach Jakes? black people? He does. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. T- oh Jakes God. does have a couple white folks in his audience. Um, <laughs> <laughs> they're called visitors. <laughs> okay. um, and in the conversation, it was very similar to the conversations we have here at Orange. Mm-hmm. And it, you know, when we have our roundtables, it's you know, when we're going through our curriculum, Really, mm-hmm. I, my newest statement is the gospel is diverse, the application isn't. Hmm. And okay. so everybody agrees with love. Everybody agrees with grace. Everybody agrees with forgiveness. But that looks different depending on who you're talking to and where that's coming from. Right. If I'm talking about uh, fatherlessness or the essence of God the Father, if you mm-hmm. never grew up with a father, that's going to be different. I'm going right. to have to address that in a different way. And so it's really when we get into our application. And it's, I think it's as simple as, in your examples, you may talk about Starbucks. Well, in the hood, they may not have a Starbucks. Right. And so I'm going to have to say McDonald's. Mm-hmm. And so I may say Starbucks, McDonald's, and Dunkin' Donuts all at the same time. <laughs> mm-hmm. And now I've hit different yeah. audiences. And yeah, so I think it's, it's just in the felt needs. How are you, when you're, when you're writing your messages, mm-hmm. are you speaking to one audience? Are you keeping one audience in mind? Or are you bringing in different examples? Yeah. And so what, what do you guys think about that? I, I want to ask you guys a question. I think that's incredible ammo and really, really good. But what about the youth leader who is really burdened about everything we're talking about, but they're a part of a church that is predominantly and majority white, Yeah. and most of their students, it, it's one thing to talk about you know, not talk about Starbucks, but if everybody in the audience is right. goes to Starbucks, they're like, what are you talking about? <laughs> right. You know, yeah. about something else. How do we help that guy or that girl who's in that church that has that mindset become more diverse? Yeah. I think that's a big tension yeah. point for the listeners. Right. Because there are men and women listening to this and you want your church to yeah. be more diverse, but you also know that there is a you know, yeah. there's an authority and a system in place. How would you guys address that? I mean, I think I think in this whole conversation, we're going to look for solutions. Mm-hmm. And the solution that I see for most of the problems that we're bringing up is a messy solution. And it's not easy. Mm-hmm. And it takes time. Yeah. And it's not a quick fix. It's relationship. Yeah. You go find a black friend. And you go get to know them Mm -hmm. and you build relationship with them and you explain to them what your context is like. And if they can come and be a part of your context, invite them in. If not, ask them who they know that that you could invite. But 
it's going to take time. And so if we're looking for a quick fix, we can just end the podcast right now and go do something else. There's no quick fix yeah. to this. It's building relationships. No one in the, in America can tell me they can't find a black person or Hispanic person or an Asian person to be friends with. Within 30 minutes, you can drive somewhere. And All right. Meet let someone. me push back a little bit. That sounds incredibly agenda driven. And here's yeah. what I mean in terms by of that. I need a friend who's for it's, that it's the equivalent of I need to go and talk to this person because they need to know Jesus. I need to go and talk to this person because they're of this color. Sure. At some point, isn't it deeper than that? And that is, do you love people of color? Sure. Because there's a reason why you don't have them as friends now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I completely concur with you. We will never have diverse youth groups until we have diverse lunch tables. Right. Mm-hmm. Or d- diverse dinner tables. Sure. Right. But how do we help youth leaders help their students to get there? Mm-hmm. Because to some degree, it feels like this you're a project. I'm trying to become more diverse. So can we develop a friendship? <laughs> do you, do you, yeah, you feel good, what I'm saying? Point. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think I don't love you too because of the color of your skin. I love you because you're you. Yeah. You right, just happen you, to be black. But you didn't love me until you knew me. Correct. You, but it you love me. You love me generally in the general sense of a Christian. But until me and you sat down and met each other. You couldn't love me because you didn't know. You didn't have a relationship with Correct. me. And so, but, but my point is I didn't sit down with you because of the color, the pigment of your skin. Right. I sat down with you because people said, y'all have a lot in common. Sure, but we're also in a context where it's easier for that to happen, right? But I've also sat down. I've literally sat down with a pastor in Atlanta who said, hey, man, I care deeply about race issues. That matters to me. I don't have a black friend to process any of this stuff with. Could you be that for me? And I wasn't offended by that at all. I didn't feel like a project. I felt like someone wants to understand. It's about time someone cared yeah. enough to ask. Yeah. So I, I definitely get how it could seem that way or how it could look that way. But if you don't have a black, if you don't have black people in your context already to ask, I don't know how else to solve that problem yeah. for you. Rather, yeah. Well, yeah. well, and the great thing about what you're saying is that Facebook exists, right? And so if you're going there's not a black person for a mile or uh, an hour, which we're, we're saying there probably is, depending on Idaho, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> or maybe Iowa, wherever you are. Um, you can get on Facebook. In a, I mean, the great thing is that XP3 has groups, Orange has groups, youth, I mean, uh, DYM, and you can jump in there and go and Figure, and learn about somebody that's different. You invite them into your into your context. Now, I do want to say this as a newsflash. I want to jump back to what Gerald said, then I want to talk about what Stuart said because I thought it was big. Newsflash. Most minorities, and let me just speak for, for black people because I can't speak for everybody, but I assume that it travels on. Most minorities are not offended by you saying you want to learn about their culture. In terms of, That's good. Mm-hmm. because I feel like when I talk to my white friends, they're like, well, I don't know shit. I'm like, no, well, listen, I think you think on your end that we don't want you to talk to us about race issues because we're going to be offended. But actually, we're going, if you don't talk to us, it's not going to change. Right. And That's so I'm actually point. honored yeah. when Sarah says, hey, let's have a conversation about this. Help me understand this. I'm not looking. Yeah. Here's a big thing. I'm not looking for us to be friends. Mm-hmm. I'm not looking for us to hang out. I'm yeah. not looking for yeah. you to be in my life. I see that as ministry. For me, yeah. I'm going, oh, let's talk. Now, yeah. to Stuart's point about <laughs> loving each other, I'll be honest. Uh, for, for me, 
when you grow up in an all-black environment, hip-hop is wrapped around it, R&B is wrapped around it, uh, civil rights wrapped around it, Black Lives Matter is wrapped around it. Mm -hmm. You grow up going, I don't have to get out of my circle at all. It's me and my people, and we're doing our thing. And it wasn't until the gospel invaded Hmm. my thought process and my heart that I said I need to reach out. And so talk about that a little bit, because that to me hits a nerve with white youth ministry America, who claims that this isn't a theology issue. And you're saying when you really see the gospel, you start going, I don't love everybody. That's right. Mm -hmm. Because here's what we know. And I'm going to talk about it. We don't have to get outside of our comfort zone. I could have stayed in Decatur. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. On the black side of Decatur, and I'm saying it because there's a white side. Right. Mm-hmm. I could I could have stayed on the black side of Decatur and had my people shopped in our restaurants and our, go went to our stores right. and went to an all black university, got a job at an all black business, and catered to the black community right. because there's a ton of money in it, and I, I could have been straight for the rest of my life because that's what my parents did. You know what yeah. I'm saying? They mm-hmm. weren't trying to do it out yeah. of they they it's, yeah. you know they, my dad had some white friends I think you know what I'm saying he didn't hate but I, all I'm saying is that none of us especially in the white context y'all don't have to get outside of your comfort zone at all yeah. there's white people everywhere you know what I'm saying <laughs> and, and you yeah. know it, so it is what it is and I think that's the t- <laughs> he just said there's white people <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> I mean, that's, I mean, we're not having the conversation of going, it's hard for me to find a white person. (laughs) Right. 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 Right? I can go anywhere and find a white person. No doubt. In any town in America. And so um, (laughs) (laughs) I think that's the tension. It's like for white people specifically, it's like, I don't, we don't have to change. But the gospel for me had to come in my life and it had to say, no. You know, the greatest commandment is that right. you would love God, love yeah. others. Right. And the question is, is who's who who's others and who's right. my neighbor? Right. That's the question. Right. Who is my neighbor? In is, some in some regards, here's what you're saying, that a lack of empathy is pointing to an unintentional position of privilege. Come mm-hmm. on. And we don't think it's there. And then Jesus starts really doing some yes. deep work in you and you're like, I operate from more of an unintentional position of privilege than I think I do. Yes. Well, not just privilege, yeah. but prejudice as right. well. A lot. Right. Yeah. So can I can I pause and ask a question, yeah. please? Sam said the big question that you ask when you get hit with the gospel is if it's love God, love my neighbor. Who is my neighbor? Mm-hmm. That's not a new question. Right. Mm-hmm. Jesus was asked that question. Right. Mm-hmm. And when he was asked that question, how did he respond? Go be like that guy. Which guy? The Samaritan. the Samaritan guy. Right. So he immediately went to an issue of race in their right. country. Right. Right. Like a Jewish person, a Samaritan person, a half breed, a highly influential, privileged person. Right. And then goes, if you want to be the person that I want you to be, if you want to love people the way that I'm mm-hmm. calling you to love, you go be like the Samaritan person who everyone would have went, wait, a Samaritan? What? Right. right. Who went out of his way to cross the street. And help someone who wasn't like him. Yes. So we can't say that race is not a theological issue. When Jesus is asked the okay. question, who is my neighbor? He immediately goes to an issue of race. That's crazy. Right. Because it's so deep rooted. and Air it's raid, so bombs away. Hard to touch. So. <laughs> and that's okay. huge because we have students that are being raised in a lot of all white environments. Mm-hmm. And they're traveling and not talking to somebody that doesn't look like them. Hmm. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because they've not been taught that. 
that's your neighbor. Like right. God calls us to reach out. So for me, here's a very tangible example. If I walk in a room and I see a white person, I am making it my point to talk to them. Mm-hmm. Just to say, hey, just because I know the state of our country, I'm going, no, no, God, you're my neighbor. Mm-hmm. And America would say in our history that we don't, we don't talk to each other. Hmm. But again, the Samaritan story, you know, I'm going to go to the other side yeah. and I'm going to, who cares what my history says? The gospel says that you're my neighbor and you're my brother and I'm going to show you love. Yeah. And that's what we teach our students. You know? Okay. So as we get closer to wrapping up, Sam, I want to circle back around to what you were talking about and, and how we can kind of frame our messages and the way that we talk to appeal to more diverse crowds. But yeah. talk a little bit to me about the methodology. Like how do we go about recruiting leaders if we don't feel like we have the context that is a diverse context? Sure. Um, I think just before we jump into that, if I could jump on the teaching for a second and come at Stuart, because I have seen Stuart in so many environments, and this is relevant for your question around if, I mean, what do you do if you don't have minorities in the audience, but you want to teach in a more diverse way? What does that mean? I've seen Stuart speak to all white audiences, to I mean, he's been known to speak in all black audiences Mm -hmm. and multicultural audiences, but he speaks in such a way to where he makes something that isn't necessary, that would not necessarily be quote unquote relevant Mm -hmm. to a white audience relevant. And I'm like, like, he's talking about Maya Angelou. He's talking about all Mm -hmm. types of stuff. Stuart, how do you do that? Like, what's your teaching? How do you prepare yourself to make something, to bring people into a different world? Oh, gosh. Simply put, if the goal is to be clear, then we have to we have to consider who's. It's really the law of the learner, hmm. like who's sitting in the audience, and I want to make it clear to everybody, and everybody's narrative is different. So I have to put myself in the seat of different narratives. I mean, you can think of it even. Let's let's use worship for just an example. Yeah. If our worship in diverse settings always sounds like Passion, Chris Tomlin, uh, Hillsong, <laughs> or Nickelback. Yeah. Uh, and it doesn't reflect Israel Halton, Kirk Franklin. We're missing something, mm-hmm. right? Because there is a segment sitting there that doesn't have. That is a part of their experience. How do you make somebody like Maya Angelou relevant to a Well, I don't think you have to work hard to make Maya Angelou relevant. (laughs) To anyone. (laughs) To anyone. But there will be youth pastors that would say, no, they're not going to care about Maya. She's a civil rights activist. Correct. However, everything she says to me, Mm. so much of what she says is so relevant to where we're living. So I just try to find that nugget. And here's what... A Maya Angelou quote does for that kid who thinks I don't care about them. It says to them, I I am at least extending myself in your direction. Mm-hmm. When I use a v- movie clip that's an all a predominantly black movie, mm-hmm. uh, when you know, I think we have to think about the Hallmark Christmas show principle that Tasha talks about. That so many of the Hallmark Christmas shows forever had no people of color. Yeah. And now because people have complained, because heads up, black people have Christmas too, <laughs> uh, that it begins to repres- be more representative of yeah. the whole. Yeah. We just have to think that way. I don't think it's rocket science. I, I'm, I appreciate you encouraging me, but I am, 
I am, I have so much more room to get better. Yeah. It's just taking the people that are listening to you into consideration. Well, and it yeah. seems like it's going back to what you said earlier. It's the empathy. When you can start to imagine yourself sitting in the shoes of the people sitting in your audience, right? then you're going to craft a message yeah. that relates to the people. You're and imagining. I do think we need to push the gas there. There are, again, we're talking about s- scores of diversity here, mm-hmm. but specifically you know, to an African-American guy or girl sitting in the audience, they need to know that there were heroes of the faith Mm -hmm. that like, for example, what men and women were teaching slaves Mm -hmm. about the resurrection and the difference it made in their life. Oh my word, that kid who is so angry because there's some white dude up on stage talking to them. All of a sudden I've gone, Oh, he at least appreciates where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he he's done his research at the very least. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That helps you, yeah. you know, you're you're trying to at least gain some yeah. ga- ground there. And I was okay. going to say too on a on a really really simple level, just thinking about when you use an example or if you run through a list, it was like Sam was saying earlier, you can say something that doesn't relate to every person in the room, but may help that one person, right? Mm-hmm. So for an example, I was speaking at a camp this summer. They wanted us to talk about all these different inventors at the beginning of the talk. And so they gave us this list of inventors that they wanted us to talk about. Walt Disney, Steve Jobs, or some other people on the list. I just pulled one of those out and added in Lonnie Johnson. Mm-hmm. Who is he? The inventor of the super soaker. Every kid in the room has used a super soaker before. He's a black inventor who invented it. Right. You throw his picture up on the screen and put him in the same conversation with the Steve Jobs and Walt Disney, and it's subconscious. No one's ever going to come up to you afterwards and go, oh my gosh, thank you so much for right. including that black inventor right. in, that co- in the right. presentation. Right. It was so, no one's going to do that, right. but it's subconscious and it's there, right? right? Yeah. And so if you want to start thinking about a way to teach more diversely, yep. it's looking at your examples and going, where can I put in a quote from a minority? Where can I throw in a picture of a minority? If I'm going to give secular examples of how this plays out for other people, Mm -hmm. then you can do that with someone of a different race. At that same camp, I used a clip from the movie Fences. Yep, that's mm-hmm. right. You should where, where Denzel and Viola mm-hmm. have this unbelievable exchange. Well, I just gained a ton of relational equity to the African-American mm-hmm. you know, man or woman sitting in the audience. Yeah. Yeah. But that's also cool. something that you do, and I'm done, <laughs> is... This is not Stuart Hall. I know, but, I, wanna, but I think this is huge because there's a couple things happening, and Gerald does this as well. There's a couple things happening when you do that. One, for an all-white audience, it says to them that there are people of color that are valuable. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. then I think there's something that happens in you, and, and we experience this offline. You actually value black thought mm-hmm. and Hispanic thought, which is huge because there, there's a sense of, which I think, and I don't know if this is happening because I haven't talked to every white youth pastor in the country. There's a sense of like, is if I use an, an example from somebody that's a person of color, is this even valuable? Right? Mm-hmm. I mean, what do you... What do you think? Well, I, th- I think it's incredibly arrogant for any person, any person of a majority race to think that they're the only th- thought leaders. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. such a position of arrogance. Uh, and the more I read, the easier it is to share those examples because you realize just how in- incredibly brilliant people of diversity are. Mm-hmm. And mm. I almost feel like it's a shame and a sin not to diversify the illustrations and the books and the 
you know, a lot of what you're talking about, though, takes there's no reason why I should be that way. I was born in South Alabama. Mm -hmm. But you have to put in the work. I think you make a great point that you to be pro, one of the ways to be proactive is to diversify what you're reading and where you who you are learning from that you will never become that way by accident. Right. You and you and you don't stop either. Right. Like I am constantly wanting to ask people questions. Yeah. Because I I don't want to assume that I know. I don't. I, yeah. And so Stuart, that's a great point. And, and what you're saying is what we're reading and what we're choosing to put our attention to is a great reflection of where our heart is and how mm -hmm. we're willing to learn from mm -hmm. other people who are different from us. So as we wrap up here, what I wanted to do is ask you guys just one final question is what is one thing that you would suggest to youth workers to do to leave here today and to do this week to really begin to make race a priority in the way that they craft messages and manage their youth groups? Yeah, I think if I were face to face with a youth worker right now, I'd want to challenge them in three spaces. One is their head. And I would ask the question, what are you doing to learn about someone else's culture? Whether that's reading books like mm -hmm. Stuart was just talking about, whether it's watching some documentaries, whether it's having some conversation with people. What are you doing in a headspace to, to affect the way that you think mm -hmm. about the issue of race? Uh, two is, is how is your heart when it comes to this mm -hmm. matter? Is there any prejudice in your own heart that you need to work through so that you can better serve the students that you're leading? Um, and a lot of times the question is, well, how do I know if yeah. there's prejudice, right? Because no one's overtly racist right. anymore. There, I mean, there's some people, but yeah. Yeah. It's, it's frowned upon to be that, right? And so one simple way, and this is, a, this is a hard question to answer honestly, but I think the answer to this question will help you identify if there's some prejudice in you, is if my son or daughter brought home someone of a different race, what would be my gut level response? Mm -hmm. How, what would be my first response? And if there's no response, great. You might be in a good place. But if, if there's something in you that just goes, mm, there's something to think about there. Yeah. And there's, some, there's some processing to do there. And so I'd ask how's Such your heart a good question. Yeah, that's a good question, yeah. And then last, I would say your hands, right? So your head, your heart, your hands. And your hands is this, is what are you doing to make your ministry more diverse? Is If it's recruiting small group leaders, if it's getting people on stages, mm -hmm. if it's going and having conversation with people so that you can meet some people that you can bring in as small mm -hmm. group leaders. I hear all the time, we don't have black people in our church, so how do I find a minority small group leader? Well, if your only pool for small group leaders are the people in your church, then you need to hustle harder because mm -hmm. I go to Starbucks and I see a dude who looks like he's cool and has some tattoos. I go, hey man, do you love Jesus? <laughs> do you go to church anywhere? You do? Bet. You need to come be a small group leader. Yeah. Let's go get lunch. Let me get to know you a little bit more. Yeah. And if they're a good fit, they don't even have to go to my church. I want as many strong Christians who are relevant with students to be in my environment yeah. as possible. Is that your criteria so. for picking small group tattoos. leaders? Tattoos. Yeah, I, looks well, cool. tattoos, cool. <laughs> drug, former drug dealer. <laughs> so just any anything like that. Anyone who doesn't look like Stuart is who I'm looking for. So, Uh-oh, shots fired. Wow. So, so your head, your heart, your hands. Okay. Uh, Those are good. I, Ask That's those really questions great. Serious. That's awesome. <laughs> Sam Stewart, about y'all. You go. Okay. I'll go after you. Okay. <laughs> uh, th thanks for uh, answering that small group methodology question, Jill, because I definitely didn't. And, uh, so thank you, Stuart, for everybody for indulging me on this episode. I would end with this. I want to, you know, I love to talk to white youth pastors and black ones and Hispanics and Asians and all of them, and I'd say. We are getting to a point in our country and in our nation and in our churches where we cannot ignore this anymore. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If we are not creating students 
or developing students to deal with a diverse world. And that's not just from the white to black side, that's from the black to white, that's from the Hispanic to black. Then I just think we're not doing the gospel justice. Mm. We've got to get this thing under control so that our world can look different. And the world is searching for answers and they're finding it hard to find it in the church because we're losing credibility because we have not stepped into this issue. Mm -hmm. How is the world 20 years ahead of us on this? Mm -hmm. We've got to catch up. Jesus ran after the mess. We got to run after the mess. Mm -hmm. So I, I would just say that, you know, go after this thing. Let's be the leaders as the church. Let's develop students. Let's develop the next generation to lead a diverse world mm-hmm. and to love a diverse world. That's what That's I say. That's awesome. That's so That's good. Uh, a couple things, and then I'll uh, hand it over to you, Sarah. One thing that I want to say that is going to sound really abrasive, and I really don't mean it to be this way, but there is a common thread happening today where people tend to take the race issue from a theological standpoint and they defend their theological positions by saying that this, that there is no such thing as a social gospel, mm-hmm. and con- wow. and they fit they fit race in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I would, I cannot overstate how much I would push back and challenge mm-hmm. you in in that. I would encourage you read the Book of Acts, mm-hmm. read the Gospels, read what James said, read what the letter to the Galatians mm-hmm. talked about before you keep making that statement. Mm-hmm. I would also say that as a, as a white man, I need to continually seek to understand before trying to be understood. Mm-hmm. I wrote this down. We cannot continue to ask the people that have been oppressed and we cannot continue to ask the people that have been persecuted to be the ones that are constantly trying to fix it and address it. Mm-hmm. It's, it's high time wow. that people that are, have the same skin pigment as I do mm-hmm. seek to understand before they're trying to be understood. I brought a couple of books that I think people should read. Mm-hmm. I think the book White Trash by Nancy Eisenberg, if you are... <laughs> Why are you laughing? Uh, <laughs> it's the autobiography of Stuart Hall. Uh, <laughs> oh <my gosh. laughs> no, what uh, a title. White Trash by Nancy Eisenberg. You should read that. A People's History of the United States by Howard Zinn. 12 Years a Slave by mm-hmm. Solomon Northup. Blood at the Root, which actually talks about where the community where Gerald is a, a, okay. a, a student yeah. pastor. Uh, that book is by Patrick Phillips, The Warmth of Other Sons by Isabel Wilkerson, and The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Mm-hmm. Great book. That would be mm-hmm. a great place for you to start mm-hmm. just to begin to try to understand a different perspective. Yeah. Uh, and, and discipline yourself to just be quiet. Yeah. And learn that's before, good. and then maybe it's time. Who can I go talk to? Yeah. that's someone that doesn't look like me. That's, that's good. good. That's really good. Well, thank you, Stuart, Gerald, and Sam, for being a part of this conversation. And all the links that uh, Stuart mentioned to the books will be in our show notes, so you can check that out. Thank you for joining us for the Rethinking Youth Ministry podcast. If you have a friend who came to mind as you're listening to this episode who needs to hear this conversation, the best place to send them is to rethinkingym.org. 
Until next time, thank you for listening. You have a t-shirt, three greatest rappers of all time. Go. Drake, Biggie, <laughs> Tupac. Tupac, Biggie, Jay-Z. Sarah. What? <laughs> <laughs> and Lecrae. And Lecrae. Lecrae, yeah. Then I said all secular rappers. Triple E. And the video. 116. The show just said 116. <laughs>